0: Hey guys, welcome back to a brand new episode. I am here with Grant Steve Lee. Grant Steve Lee owns his own distillery here in the Okanagan. And I just love to ask him some questions about how the whiskey and the gin is made, how the storing process is, and what was his journey on getting from a teenager to where you are now. So thank you very much for coming on. And I'll kick things off by asking you, why did you pick to go into this type of business and this type of career?
1: Well, I don't think I started out with this intention in mind. Um, I lived and worked in Banff for 18 years in emergency Mm -hmm. services, and distilling was a hobby. So a hobby turned into a passion, and a passion turned into a potential for a business that I could own and run. So it certainly didn't start
0: out that way, Uh, but that's where we're at now. And you've also mentioned you work as a firefighter. That's correct. And why did, how did that come along and why a firefighter?
1: I've always been a volunteer firefighter. So
0: when I came to Oliver, Oliver has a
1: fantastic fire department and was one of the locations I was looking at when I wanted to start and grow a business. Mm-hmm. Um, I looked not just at how the business would be successful in the area, but also the community that was surrounding it and to utilize my skill set as a volunteer firefighter and
0: previously an EMT and what I could give back to the community as well. So previously you mentioned you were a volunteer at That's the right. fire department. Yeah. Do you, are you now still a volunteer?
1: We're paid on call.
0: Okay. So we're paid for any training or fires. So I,
1: I typically leave for a week or two every summer, sometimes longer I guess. Mm-hmm. And we're paid for that. So i consider it a paid vacation away from my business fair enough and how about the ems uh the i was an emt in alberta yeah Um, so before i left alberta i wanted to utilize that skill set so i certainly enjoyed emergency services and still wanted to be active in that role so i am here as well as a first responder with the fire department
0: what in specific did you enjoy about uh services was it helping people or was there another aspect to it that you really liked?
1: Yeah, I think I just enjoy, I mean, the action, it's a bit of an adrenaline rush when something's on fire or there's a major accident. Or, you know, when you're required to be needed, I find a sense of calm when there's a lot of chaos. So,
0: I really enjoy that. Could you touch upon one of your worst experiences, if that's okay? with either a firefighter or being an EMT?
1: Yeah, I don't think I have. uh, I mean, it's a good question, but I don't think I have a worst experience. I think uh, I've done a lot of training from when I was younger. So from early, you know, you talk about being a teenager, uh, taking first aid and CPR courses early on. So I think my level of training just over the years, I don't think there's a bad experience. I think most of the experiences are good. They they end up positive.
0: Right, right. You mentioned working at a distillery was a hobby for you. That's right. What, is, what does that mean? Did you, what, what aspect of this did you like?
1: I had a home, so I did, an, uh, for a number of years, I brewed beer. So mm-hmm. uh, I brewed beer and I wanted to take it to the next level. And I bought a small still out of uh, Portugal and imported it in as a decorative copper garden ornament and started <laughs> distilling. Not with the intention of selling it, or but it was just a passion that came from whiskey. And mm-hmm. you know the brewing process is the first step in making whiskey. It's not that much different. So we brew here. We started with 100% malted barley. We do fermentation. And then from there we did distillation. So I kind of got bored with brewing and I wanted to take it to the next level. So I had a small still and I used to distill in my ski resort staff accommodations, Uh my tile shower and uh, make my own whiskey because I wanted to understand the process of whiskey and making whiskey. So With never an intention of being a commercial
0: distiller. Mm -hmm. Could you walk us through the process in detail of Barley to whiskey or gin. Yeah,
1: I'll give you. I'll give you a, without being too detailed, but I'll yeah, give you right. the, the
0: basics. <laughs> um,
1: certainly, because we could be here a really long time. But <laughs> yeah. we're sitting surrounded by bags yep. of malted barley. So in the malting process, so barley's harvested, uh-huh. it goes to a malting house. And they start with uh, the corn. So that's the seed that you would see. Okay. I think Brock was showing you earlier yeah. on. Yeah, he showed me what he so says. they steep and dry it. Um, and they confuse the, the seed into thinking that it's growing. But before it grows into a plant and consumes all those starches that are there, mm-hmm. we dry it out in the malting process. Now they have big I industrial see. dryers. They take out all the moisture content. So the plant can continue to grow. and they tumble off the lid, there's little rootlets, they tumble that off. So we get it here, we mill it, so we break that corn to get access uh, to the starches inside. At the distillery here, uh, we use a very similar process to uh, the brewing industry, where we activate the naturally occurring enzymes that exist in malted barley, that help us break down the long chain starches to short chain fermentable sugars. Okay. Then we add yeast. Yeast is the, I wanna say the greatest um, creature in the world because it eats sugar and produces alcohol and CO2 as a byproduct as well. Mm-hmm. So we ferment our barley, it's about seven to 8% ABV. From there after five to seven days of fermentation goes to the still for distillation where we are using heat essentially to separate the alcohol and water compounds Mm -hmm. and then from there we get our alcohol and for our whiskey we go through two distillations to get our base alcohol and that alcohol goes into these nice oak barrels and uh it'll sit there for a minimum of three years before we can call it canadian whiskey
0: your colleague mentioned to me that it takes on the flavor of the wood yeah and then On some of them, you remove the flavor, the other you keep the flavor, and with the flavor of the wood, it's at, like, or before, sorry, with, before you add in water, it's at 65% alcohol, and then after you add the water, it reduces the alcohol, and your colleague said that sometimes people buy it without the addition of water, and then they'd add their own water and all that yeah yeah so that's kind of so the, yeah multifaceted question there so we distill when we do our first
1: distillation huh. we get 60 to 70 percent alcohol okay. um, it's got a lot of flavor there's still a lot of the barley characteristics in there if we're making gin we'll do a second distillation to rectify and purify the alcohol and we bring that up to 94 to 95 percent uh, abv if it's whiskey we're in the high 80s because we wanna maintain a little bit of that grain flavor. So we take mm-hmm. that alcohol and we put it into, if it's whiskey, uh, we put it into a barrel and we allow it to age. Alcohol is an amazing solvent and we're using that solvent to extract uh, the sugars and lignins, wood lactones, and coningers from the barrel to give us flavor in the whiskey. And that just happens through time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so three years in the barrel, Extracting that flavor, using that solvent to penetrate the wood and pull out the flavor. So whiskey develops 70 to 80% of its flavor from the wood barrel itself.
0: And what was previously in the barrel. Um, How do different barrels, for example, oak versus cherry wood barrels, how do they influence the flavor of the spirit? And are barrels still handmade or are they uh, machine made?
1: yeah there is some of the larger cooperages that make barrels um, by machine now um, but the good majority of the cooperages and a cooperage is a place that makes wood barrels okay. are made by man. so it's certainly a skill and an art to raise a barrel now oak is the one that we typically use in the maturation of spirits and in wine as well how we utilize that barrel is going to contribute to the flavor profile of what's in the whiskey (laughs) or in the wine industry so in the whiskey industry we char the barrel because we want the caramel and vanilla um, to impart that flavor on the whiskey whereas in the wine industry they just toast the barrel so Hmm. they're they're just getting more of a tannic note whereas we want richer flavor profile right so what was previously in the barrel so the whiskeys that we are releasing today all three of those whiskies spent time in two separate barrels. The first barrel was an ex-bourbon barrel, which was initially charred. And in the United States, bourbon has to be in new charred American white oak barrels for a minimum of two years. After that, the barrel cannot be used for their purposes, for bourbon. So for us, in the single malt whiskey industry or rye whiskey industry, that barrel has now been seasoned because rye and barley are more fragile grains. So they have a lot more complexity to offer as opposed to bourbon, which is a corn-based whiskey. Mm -hmm. So when we get those barrels, we've already taken the teenage years out of it. And so the first barrel gives us a base and then the second barrel can add more complexity and layers and depth. In the case that we're doing today, we had a barrel that had stout beer finished in it. We had a brandy barrel and we had a red wine barrel. So all three of those whiskies are gonna be distinctly
0: different. How does aging affect the taste of the different um can I call them alcohols or Yeah, well, yeah, alcohol, spirits. Alcohols, yeah. spirits. And how do you determine the optimal age? Like why don't you guys keep it in there for four or five years? Yeah.
1: There is so in in the whiskey industry, we're starting to see a dramatic shift, much like we do in a lot of industries, as we gain more knowledge and more information and processes improve and efficiencies improve. At one time, a whiskey needed to be old to be good. It had to sit in a barrel. Now that's not the case anymore. We have different barley strains. We have different yeast strains that can produce flavor profiles. We have uh, different, um, distillation techniques, and we have different wood management techniques. All of those things are going to contribute to a flavor profile. Mm -hmm. When we look at aging whiskey, I moved from Banff to the Okanagan, not knowing a single person when I moved here. And one of the main reasons was to mature whiskey in a hot, dry environment. Because we know now, through maturation, that we can get a richer product in a shorter period of time. So a whiskey no longer needs to sit years in a barrel to be good. And that was Mm -hmm. demonstrated by a whiskey that came out of India, Amrut, um, I want to say maybe 12 to 15 years ago. They won World Whiskey of the Year and didn't have an age statement on their whiskey. It's really significant to beat out older style whiskeys in a blind tasting. So now we start to focus on, we have a lot of things down to science. Uh, The malting process, barley strains, yeast strains, fermentation, distillation, we're getting better. But wood, there still is an art to blending and maturation because each barrel has something different to offer. We can create consistencies, but there's going to be a difference between every single barrel. Even though it may have been cut down by the same lumberjack you know, right. barrel made by the same cooper, same spirit put in, each one's gonna be a bit different because these are organic compounds. Mm-hmm. And over time, we're gonna get flavor that's gonna be different from each one. It's like not every tree grows the same from every seed. Right. It's right, the same right. with the barrels. So they're giving us something different.
0: Are there any common myths or misconceptions about distillation that you think, on top of your head, that you could debunk?
1: yeah we're not an explosives factory we're not going to blow up and burn to the ground we're not this is not an episode of moonshiners you don't see us running around here like tickle from the moonshiners drinking i mean we're we're hyper focused on what we're doing here um and yeah it's not a hazardous facility you know we're a safe place to work and we don't drink all day so that's that's a myth as well when you know distillers and
0: brewers and winemakers don't drink all day i see Uh, and when's the first time you started drinking? Ooh, that's a good question. Because there are a lot of students out there who, you know, sometimes go out on a Friday night with their buddies, drink something. When's the first time you, an owner of a distillery, drank? Oh, well, that's an excellent question. It wasn't like a little sip. It was like some good amount.
1: Yeah, I, I think certainly in your later, my later teen years, you know, we're binge drinking because it's a novelty. You know, I always say there's three categories of people now. There's, there's four. Those who drink, and it's something we did, you know, I did in high school, mm-hmm. um, you know, foolishly with no focus on flavor, just for effects. We weren't, uh-huh. you know, we weren't concerned about the complexities and layers and depth in a whiskey or in a wine. You know, we were drinking for effects. That's drinking. I think now there's, you, we see enjoyment. I think now we're seeing a social shift, whereas people are more responsible. They're not, not that I ever did, but you drink 20 drinks and drive home. You know That's certainly not a socially acceptable thing right. to do anymore. I think for us, when I looked at a distillery, we weren't trying to produce a product that people would just be drinking into excess that can certainly happen. But I want products that are enjoyed, but also appreciated for subtleties and nuances. So if you go out for dinner, and um, no longer are you drinking those 20 martinis and driving home, or 20 cocktails, Mm -hmm. um, now you want a nice craft beer, you want something with flavor, you want a nice cocktail with craft spirits in it that uses fresh ingredients, you want a nice glass of wine, you want to know the story. So, I think we're just seeing a shift to socially conscious drinking, responsible
0: drinking. I know, for example, tequila, there's a yep. special way to drink it. You keep it in your mouth for this amount of time, you put it to your left cheek, then your right cheek, then you drink. I'm not sure of the process, but... Yeah, neither am I. Is, so. <laughs> is, is there a special process to get the flavor out for gin or whiskey? I
1: think so. When we talk about enjoyment, so let's talk about gin, for example. Um, so gin if you're in the drinking category you can drink in excess you'd be drinking from the bottle passing it around to your friends not worried about flavor uh you drink for enjoyment maybe you have a gin and tonic or a gin and juice you know you have a couple of those you enjoy it Mm -hmm. then there's appreciation appreciation is by itself you know in a proper glass at room temperature you know enjoying the subtleties and nuances that it has how you enjoy the enjoyment category is really up to you i think if you know you like tequila and you like one cheek second cheek you know um, gargle it wh- whatever you think if that's your enjoyment but true appreciation is enjoying the spirit neat uh, maybe with a splash of water certainly coating your mouth
0: um so and- okay, could you lead us through the process of like you You know, adding water, whatever, taking the sip, and what what do you do? Yeah, so I... I, to get the full flavor out of it, you know? You know,
1: whiskey comes in different alcohol percentages, anywhere between 40%, and to your earlier question, it comes at a high ABV as well. You know, we fill our barrels at 62.5% ABV, um, because alcohol is a solvent. So the higher the alcohol, the better the solvent we have. That's why we fill our barrels at a higher alcohol. Mm-hmm. As we reduce that solvent, we're able to pull out those oils, which is flavor and aroma compounds that you can appreciate and enjoy. So for me, if I'm enjoying a whiskey, mm-hmm. um, I might have a Crown and Coke with a squeeze of lime. That's enjoyment. If I wanted to look at the subtleties and nuances of that whiskey, I put it in a proper tulip-shaped glass okay. at room temperature, nose it first take it in my mouth, give it some time on the palate, you know, chew it around for four or five seconds, and then dilute it on the palate, because high-proof alcohol, if you're taking shots of tequila, you'll you know, you yeah. feel that burn. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. steeped in a chemical reaction, an exothermic reaction. So your palate is prepared for that. So if you ate dry granola, um, your body, your mouth wants to salivate, wants to break it down. Right, right, it's the right. same thing with alcohol. Okay. Um, if you swallow that alcohol down without diluting it, that chemical reaction is taking place in your throat. So the best thing you can do is put it on your palate, dilute it down, chew it for that four or five seconds, swallow it back, open up, get some air in there to appreciate the subtleties and nuances. Interesting. However, I think the most important thing, and, and we have it here when we have people who are driving or um, don't drink much, or you know they're, you right. know, they're conscious about their consumption, is smell everything. Your nose is more important than your palate. So you'll pick up on subtleties and nuances in a spirit uh, with your nose that you won't on your palate. So if you smell something that smells off, you know right away. If the neighbor's making chocolate chip cookies, you smell it right away. I was driving past the theater this week on Thursday. I could smell the popcorn in my vehicle as I'm driving past, you know buttered popcorn smells delicious. Tastes good too, but it smells better. So.
0: There's, a, there, there's a conspiracy theory about, for example, like fast food places, each time you drive by them, you could, you know, smell the smell. And there's conspiracy theories how they put, like, little jars of the smell in their vents and then run their vents, and that's how they get the smell outside, which attracts more customers.
1: I think they're just, you know, they're making food that
0: smells good. <laughs> or that. <right>? Or that, <laughs> yeah. I mean, why why, why
1: make something that you have to? I mean, if you're already cooking food and it smells good, I mean, you go past Cinnabon. You can you smell know, it. You can smell it. It smells fabulous. Awesome. Who doesn't love the smell of cinnamon? Right, right. I don't think those guys have anything in their vents. I think Hopefully it's just not. something just smells good.
0: Right. Yeah. 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 So. What are your next big steps in, in where you are right now, uh, career-wise? Is there a project you're working on? Is there an experiment you're trying to do? Are you trying to expand? Or What, what are some of your next steps? Yeah, I think there's,
1: uh, there's two aspects to that. So, expansion of our business. So, as you can see, we don't have a lot of space. We are right. cozy. We've outgrown our space. So, we have expansion. Warehouse will be next. Uh, larger tasting room and retail area. So, that's one act aspect. Uh, The second is we're always working on new products, um, to kind of try and push the boundary and be innovative
0: um, but be within the means where a consumer might like a new product. So, could you share some of the new products you guys are working on? Yeah,
1: we're working on, uh, we have a brandy that's uh, seven and a half years old. Brandy. Uh, Brandy. What is that? It, uh, so, whiskey is, depending on where it is in the world, whiskey is a fermented and uh, distilled and aged grain. Uh, we have a brandy that is fermented and distilled grapes, and we're in the, okay. the wine region. Okay. So we took uh, some grapes that were otherwise going to be disposed of in the landfill because they were deemed to have smoke taint from the fires in 2015. Mm-hmm. Uh, which was a bumper crop for grapes in the Okanagan. We took those grapes and fermented them and distilled them and aged them in barrels in much the same way as you would a cognac or an armagnac from France. So we took a product that was destined for the landfill and made a viable product out of it. It's, it's really good. It's exceptional.
0: And we're working on just finishing the branding for that. Where we are right now, there are a bunch of fires surrounding us. Mm-hmm. How do you think these fires start? And what is, you're a firefighter, right? So you have some knowledge in this. And yep. what, do you, what do you think is the big cause of fires besides everything that's dry during the summer? Yeah,
1: I mean, I mean, there's a lot of things. So my dad was uh, worked for the BC Forest Service uh, mm-hmm. before he retired and predominantly in protection. And fires can start from anything. You know, one of the biggest causes is lightning. Um, Certainly we see human-caused fires in and around populated areas. um, But a lot of fires start naturally. It's part of the natural process of regeneration of the forest. And it's something that aboriginal cultures knew at one time. When they had a forest fire, they knew that was going to be good hunting grounds in the future. Because now you've cleared out the biomass fuel. Now you've created grasslands for the wildlife to come back. Mm -hmm. And even this most recent fire that uh, we just had last week in a Soyuz, there was a bear and two cubs. The fire came through, you know, all the animals were leaving, and now that the fire is out, we actually saw the bear going back into the burned area. And next year, that area is going to be lush and green. So yeah, fires can be started for a number of reasons, you know, whether it's intentional, accidental,
0: or just by nature, Uh, we're always going to see fires, I think. If there's a big forest fire, what's the best way to either control it or stop it? Because not all extremely big ones you could stop. You just have to wait for the rain. Yeah, there's a, there's a huge science behind you know,
1: forestry, firefighting, um, you know, humidity, temperature, um, the fuel that's there available as well. So there's a big science. So it depends where the fire is and what the conditions are available. Um, they use a lot of science now. Um, in that aspect but still there's some unpredictability
0: uh, right with weather as well mm-hmm. and what was the closest fire to where you are right now and were you ever feared that it might come extremely closer it was just on the hill right here also oh, uh, just right here yeah just right here and that was um
1: uh, that was 2019 actually so you guys were here we're right here yeah. yeah there's bombers and helicopters and yeah we stationed some firefighters uh, in the backyard here so well didn't
0: come too close so that's didn't come too close that's good um gave a bit of an, an adrenaline rush without using uh, alcohol
1: yeah i don't think so i mean our building is you can see we got stone back here our sidings made out of concrete we have mm-hmm. rock four feet up on the sides of our building we have the highest roof rating. Um, so I'm not really that concerned. We've got some great trained people, um, not just in Oliver, but firefighters in right. general. They, they want to protect structures and infrastructure,
0: so. There's, I saw a video recently that I'm gonna show you, but it's a video where there are, in, in Northern British Columbia, there's a video of, um, of like, Nine or ten fires starting all up at the exact same time, and I just wanna, as a firefighter, I just wanna get your viewpoint on what you think about this because there's a lot of controversy surrounding it. You know, could it be something planned? Was it just a mistake? Was it just a coincidence? And what you think about it? So here is the video, and it's it's playing back and forth. Right, they're putting it back in time, putting it forward in time. You can see all that all that smoke that's coming up and how they all start at the exact same time.
1: Yeah, and I mean, this could be, so I think one of the key things is here, and you could see them all flaring up, um, and it almost looks like maybe that's some clouds in there. Mm -hmm. So my question is, is what happened before this? So if you download, say the Lightning app, so, Mm. you know, it's always a big concern. Was there a big storm that just went through and maybe it was been dry all summer And now August hits, and a lightning storm has gone through. And there is hundreds, if not thousands, of lightning strikes. Mm -hmm. So, you know, being with my father when he worked for the BC Forest Service, I remember he used to come back with maps. And it would show, you know, all the lightning strikes from the storm that just passed through. It was inconceivable of how many... You, you see the lightning, and you're like, oh, there's a bit of a lightning storm. And then the map comes back, and you just see all these lightning strikes. And quite mm-hmm. often, a lot of these fires will just burn out. It's not unusual, you know, um, to have a fire started with, with lightning. So, I mean, we had it just in the back at the, at the tree that's there. It didn't start a fire, fortunately, because it was in the spring. Okay. And uh, But, yeah, without knowing the whole... Full story right. there. Fair My instinct is maybe there was maybe it was dry and there was some lightning some too there. Yeah, interesting. I mean, I don't think. You know, I think that there's always going to be conspiracy theories. Right. And uh, right. yeah, I, why would you yeah. want to start a fire? Fair, Fair enough. enough. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there is something. You know, there's some organizations that do an amazing job with uh, doing prescribed burns. You know, Parks Canada, for example. You know, they've done some prescribed burns. When I was in Banff, they'll burn an area. And with the intention of clearing the grassland because it's part of the natural life cycle. I see. Some of these forests now are building up so much biomass fuel in them because we've suppressed the fires so much because of our better oh, firefighting methods. You know, right. we fight a lot of things okay. from the air now. Mm-hmm. So if a fire gets, you know, it starts, we have better methods of putting it out and now the fuel just builds up and builds up and builds up so now we see these incredibly hot fires i mean we have fire species of trees that have pine cones that don't open until the heat reaches a or till the pine cone really? reaches a certain temperature to release the seeds so and then the trees grow after that so but what's happening now is some of these fires are burning so hot not only are they opening up the cones but now they're burning the seeds because that fuel is building up and building up because we suppress the fires so I think we've gotten better I I really Mm. believe that Perks Canada has done a great job in in managing forests and recognizing that but they certainly have a lot more science and study behind it than both you and I would know
0: right now the value of time is a very talked about topic and not I'd, I'd say not a lot of students who are in high school understand the value of time and how to use it and maximize it. Do you think the value of time could be taught to a student or somebody or do you think it comes from experience and kind of subconsciously pops up? Yeah I think both you know if that's a, a you know I
1: think certainly it could be taught. But you have some ingrained sense, you know, here in the business. When I first started the business, I was like, oh, I put in my eight hours. You know, that's what I'm used to. Oh, I put in a long day. It's ten hours. Now, we're eight and a half uh, years into the business. I don't watch the hours. I just work as long and as much as needed. So, Yeah. um, yeah, I think I learned that over time. So it could be a bit of both. Yeah, it depends on your environment environment, and the factors that are involved.
0: Are you guys planning on bringing AI and this new uh, ChatGPT thing into the business and trying to integrate it, right? Try to use it to its benefit for you guys? Is that? Yeah, I've
1: asked it some, some questions. I've asked it to write some emails for me and yeah. reword some uh, marketing stuff. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I think we would use any tool that's available, you know, things just progress naturally. And you either embrace it and move with it or, or fight it. So our goal is to embrace it and learn from it and see
0: how it can benefit us. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of, a lot of people say that there are some big cons about this artificial intelligence getting, you know, growing at such a fast pace and there are a lot of pros about it growing. Um, what do you think? do you think? that AI, AI is growing too fast should we slow it down or is that a good s- speed we should just integrate it into our lives to make ourselves better to make our businesses better
1: yeah I think it's gonna happen so you either embrace it or mm-hmm. uh, and if you embrace it you can mold it and direct it in a positive direction and I think that goes not just with uh, chat GPT or AI uh, it goes with a lot of things uh, with business, with growth, with communities, with your life mm-hmm. um, if you fight something, you're not always going to get what you want, but I think if you embrace something and grow with it, you can direct it and move it into something that's beneficial, that'll, that'll fit your needs, so yeah, I think it's okay to be cautious I think it's right. sm- smart and it's wise because um, there's so many unknowns, but you know, at one time they thought the telephone was going to be the death of of personal interaction this kind of communication well the world didn't come to an end you know right, right. they thought uh, smartphones were gonna be the end of, of the interaction and and Google was gonna Man. answer all of our questions and that we wouldn't do critical thinking um, anymore and try and right. problem-solve right, right, right. you know I think things are just gonna change so we have to embrace it and, and
0: move with it or yeah get something that we completely don't want if you don't mind we'll step back into your earlier life and what or now that you've grown up you've passed school quite a while ago that's an
1: assumption Matthew that I've grown up (laughs) I have a distillery
0: right? (laughs) Um, what are your thoughts on school do you think that school is still beneficial for us and we should you know keep trying to you know push schools and all that or is school a thing of the past and we need something newer something better something more for our i don't want to say generation but more for this period in time this is an amazing time absolutely an amazing time
1: you know if i think about uh 30 years ago in order to be successful it was almost like you needed to do post-secondary education right and i think uh you know certain laying a good foundation like high school and stuff is certainly important it gives you the basic skills and right um I, I don't think you need post-secondary education anymore um, in the traditional aspect of universities to be successful. Uh, I think if you're going to, you want to be a doctor, or you want to be a lawyer, or you want to do something. Right. Post-secondary right. education is is not only you know important; it's necessary. However, I think if you want to be successful now, you can be and do anything you want. I mean, mm-hmm. if you want to, if you want to start a distillery. I mean, that opportunity didn't exist 30 years ago. Right. Yeah. I mean, you couldn't even go to school. Now, there's a course and there's training for almost anything, anywhere. Um, You know, education is important. It helps you move forward. But uh, post-secondary isn't the be-all, end-all anymore. Uh Uh, Certainly, some careers, it is. But 30 years ago, if I said, oh, I wanted to be a distiller and own a craft distillery in the heart of Okanagan, I was going to make my own whiskey people would think of me as crazy so now you know in BC there's over uh, there's probably close to 150 distilleries in British Columbia oh, wow. of people doing innovative uh, and unique things in, in the province uh, it doesn't mean it's always right right, right, um, right. S- certainly there's some failures but what an opportunity now just do anything you want like, there, there hasn't been a better moment in my memory in my time frame that I can think of, man. You can be and do anything you want right. as long as you put right. that for right. in.
0: Yeah. One hundred fifty distilleries. Is that a competition? Like, is this is this business style competitive, or is it, yeah? Yeah, I how, think. How, yeah. how 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 would you sorry? How would you fight your other competition? Yeah, I, I, I see that? other people as complementary,
1: as okay. opposed to competition. We're certainly all fighting for, you know, tourism dollars or the consumer dollars. But I don't think it needs to be done in a negative way. And I, you know, I see lots of distilleries in the province and distillers. If I'm having a problem, you know, I, can, I have somebody to call. If I run out of yeast because my order hasn't come in, I can call another local distillery to get some yeast. You know, we all want to see each other succeed. And I think if you see that in a lot of industries. Um, yeah, they're competitors, but they're, they're also, you know, my colleagues and... Um, they're complementary
0: too. The leniency in schools. Schools nowadays seem much more lenient to students, to their marks, to their learning. And if, if students don't do as well, it's more of an okay than a, you know, keep going, try again, try harder. Do you think this approach is beneficial for students in their future, or is this something that doesn't matter that much, or that The leniency benefits them.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, there's certainly two schools of thought with that. There's no question about it. I think only time will tell. Um, I'm not in, you know, failure. Failure sucks. It's awful. But uh, it also leads to, you know, if you just hold somebody's hand and move them through, it leads to a false sense of security. So, and, and without the ability to deal with failure when things go wrong. Um, you know for me we've we've seen more failures than than success and we learn from it we're all gonna fail it's how we learn from it and move forward so I think failure is important and uh, yeah doesn't always feel good but right right right. you you can either learn from it or not you know we choose here to learn from it when things turn out well we share them with our customers when things turn out poorly they just go into another barrel into a dark corner (laughs) of the distillery and then we look and say hey how can we make this failure or something that didn't turn out well better or how can we change to make it better i think failure just makes things better but if if we didn't have failures oh that's okay if we made a bad gin or a bad whiskey and people Mm -hmm. still bought it where would be the drive to do better right it'd just just be mediocrity no we want to be better Right, right, right You know that's why we enter spirits competitions.
0: You know We're, spirits competitions. Yeah, so we is enter, that who makes the best spirit?
1: Yeah, <laughs> so there's an independent judging panel panel of, really? uh, yeah, so people blind taste and nose spirits. And so you know, for us, we want to make the best spirits. It's not going to help our you know on the whiskey end of things. We only have so much whiskey, right? But yeah. we we want to make the best. So yeah. Did you ever win one of those? Um, we have yeah uh, in a number of competitions, yeah, but we've also failed in a number of competitions. Right, and you learn from those mistakes. And we learn from those mistakes. When they're, when they're good, when we're successful, we share with them, we talk about them, yay, look at our whiskey, it got our first gold medal, or yay, look at our gin, it's got a gold in Canada in the past six years. Our navy strength gin won the best contemporary gin in the entire country last year. Really? Yeah. So, it's amazing, we want, you know, that's, those are the goals that we want to achieve. But mm-hmm. we didn't always get gold. We weren't always on top. You know, there was right. times when we had a silver medal and we're like, oh, okay, how can we do better to be on
0: top? Are those what those medals are at the very front over there? That's right. That's them? Yeah. Awesome. Yeah,
1: I think there's one bronze medal up there I'm not very proud of. The rest are all gold. There's <laughs> silver and predominantly <laughs> gold. But yeah, it's important. I mean, the drive to be better, right? you know,
0: yeah. just, it just comes from yeah. being in second place at the time. So. Before we end this off, I would ask all my guests this one question: What is your favorite book and your favorite podcast that would either be beneficial for other students or that helped you achieve and become who you are and what you are now? Oh, well, those are I'm gonna I'm gonna say my
1: favorite author is Malcolm Gladwell. Okay. Uh, I think his books are fantastic. <coughs> Things like Blink. The tipping point. What the dog saw. Um, They're they're fabulous books on insights, not just into business, but in life and just general knowledge. Mm -hmm. And what was the second question? Podcast. Uh, Oh, the podcast. podcast Am I allowed to say Joe Rogan? Yeah. Yeah. I've said Joe Rogan a few times. I love Joe Rogan. I was just, yeah. Uh, I love Joe Rogan. He's. I was just listening to him last night with Andrew Dice Clay. I just think he comes at an approach. Um, which to some may seem controversial, but I think he's just having conversations with people and mm-hmm. he's a, an excellent interviewer. The no, guy just gets people talking. He's made what, yourself. like 2000. 2010 episodes? Yeah, it's just by wow. talking with people, just by having a conversation. You know, last Very night I, I listened to Andrew Dice Clay, who I thought was just this rude comedian mm-hmm. from like the 80s. And uh, yeah, it was, it was fantastic. So I, I
0: like Joe Rogan. Yeah. So, okay. Always consistent. Well, thank you very much for coming on. Thanks Matthew. Appreciate it. It's been a pleasure. We learned a lot about distilleries and how it all works and how to, how to properly drink whiskey. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, we didn't drink any whiskey here. Just for the
1: record of anybody's listening, Matthew did not have a single drink of whiskey. Nope. Well, thank you very much for coming on. It's been a pleasure. Thanks.